Welcome to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast, presented by Zenium HR. I'm your host, Brandon Laws. Whether you're an HR professional or a small business leader, each episode of this podcast is designed to bring you the latest in technical HR and leadership at your convenience. More content is available on our website at www.zeniumhr.com. Let's dive into today's topic. Welcome to the HR for Small Business podcast. This is Brandon Laws. And with me, I have Fallon Niedrist. She is an associate attorney at JJH Law. They're located in Portland, Oregon. Fallon, awesome to have you. Thank you so much for having me. So you are what is known as an expert in a lot of employment law, but today our topic is the Oregon Paid Sick Leave Law. Can you give us some history behind what this is and kind of how it came about? Sure. So uh, the last couple of years, there's been a growing concern and awareness that hourly workers, especially when they become sick, you know, it's really financially burdensome or can be for them to take time off from work just because they have the flu or a cold. And so a lot of us, particularly in cities, there's been kind of a growing movement to pass legislation and ordinances to protect this this sick time for employees so they can feel like, if I'm sick, I can take a day off work, I'll get paid for it, it's not going to, you know, harm me at the end of the month when I'm short on cash. And so really it's been a movement Starting with the, the city level, Seattle passed an ordinance a few years ago. San Francisco passed an ordinance a few years ago to protect this this sick time for employees, so they don't feel like they're going to get short shifted at the end of the, the work week. Yeah, if I remember right, what I what I've heard, and to your point, it started in Seattle. Portland adopted a law, and that this Portland adopted the law that was was it last year. So or it, was, it started in 2015. Yeah, so uh, they actually started working on the law around 2013, and it came into effect yeah. recently. And that that was, you know, kind of part of the city movement to protect workers. That's kind of been common on the West Coast the last few years. Yeah, and so, what we're talking about today, we're talking about statewide now. Is that correct? Right. And so, when the city ordinance got passed. There are a lot of issues that came up almost immediately. For example, well, what if I have an employee that works part of the time in Portland and part of the time out of Portland? How do I deal with that? Like counting the hours that they're accruing for for paid sick leave. So there's a lot of a lot of problems right out the gate by just having a city-wide law um, about giving your employees paid work. So you know people were concerned about this and brought it to the state legislature. And sure enough, this last session, the state legislature approved a statewide law that kind of gets rid of those those citywide problems that came from passing the ordinance. Yeah, and it probably makes a lot more sense that, I mean, it's easier to track probably statewide versus just citywide. I mean, you've yeah, it'd probably be a track, tracking nightmare. So can you give us um, some perspective on the the details of like when this was actually passed, when it takes effect, maybe who it involves, and kind of all the nitty gritty details about that. Sure. So the the law was passed just this last legislative session. It doesn't come into effect until January first. So this gives 
employers a little bit of time to get caught up on what the law says, you know, pass some policies, revisit existing uh, six-time policies if you have them. Basically, the coverage is really broad. An employee, every employee is covered, uh, no matter if you're a temporary employee, a seasonal employee, you know, part-time, full-time. There are a couple of minor exceptions for things like independent contractors or people who are in the work training program. But by and large, almost every employee is going to be covered under this law. For employers, they've kind of broken down into a small employer category versus a larger employer category. And that distinction is if you're a smaller employer, you probably can't afford to give your employees paid leave. So you're just required to give your employees unpaid sick time. Um, And if you're a larger employer, you have to do the paid sick time. So that distinction is they still kind of maintain the the Portland versus the rest of the state of Oregon distinction. So if you're a Portland employer, if you have six or more employees, you're required to give paid sick time. If you have less than six employees, it's unpaid sick time. So the rest of the state, that that cutoff line is 10 employees. So 10 plus employees, paid sick time, less than 10 employees, unpaid sick time. And does this this law overrides the previous Portland law, or does that one still stay in effect where it's actually the six-employee cutoff? So this law actually preempts the Portland sick leave ordinance, so that's not going to apply anymore. But it just did maintain that distinction from Portland employers of the the six-employee cutoff rule. Are there any other details about the size of employer, or is it just employee uh, size to where the the law either it's paid or unpaid, or is that the only kind of detail that employers need to really pay attention to? So it's just the employee size. There are little distinctions on how do you count employees, and that, that's something if you're like right on the cusp, go ahead and, and contact your legal counsel about figuring out if you meet the 10-employee or 6-employee cutoff line because it's a little, little detailed calculation to figure that out. But really, employers should fo- focus on how many employees do you have in your workplace at any one time. And it's getting pretty detailed, but what happens if throughout the year you fluctuate between the threshold where it's unpaid or paid, and how do you go back and forth between that? So there there is a a rule in the law that kind of talks about how you calculate the employees, and it's based on the average number of employees that you have working throughout the previous, I believe it's previous 20 weeks of the year. So if you have nine employees, but you just get to 10, but you've had nine employees the last 20 weeks on average, you're still in the, the nine employee category. But again, that's, it can get a little complicated when you're counting it, and it's always good to double check with legal counsel if you're not sure. Can you kind of define how people may use this, this sick, sick leave or sick time, as, as we're calling it? I'm sure there's reasons that employees would want to use this time, but maybe give some kind of general definitions of how people would use it. Sure. So it's a, it's actually a really, really broad use uh, allowance for the, the paid or unpaid sick time. Um, if an employee needs to take care of their own mental or physical illness, injury, or health condition, that's covered. Uh, if the employee needs to care for a family member and their mental or physical condition, that's also covered. Uh, generally, reasons set forth in the Oregon Family Leave Act, so things like you need to care for a um, somebody with a serious health condition or your own serious health condition, that's going to be covered. 
Also, we've participated under the domestic violence leave laws in Oregon. So if you need to go to a hearing about, uh, you know, a stalking protective order, that's going to be covered under the law. And finally, if there's a, a something called a public health emergency, and that's kind of exactly what it sounds like if somebody's declaring, like, don't leave your house because there's a contagious illness that's spreading, you know, anything related to that is also going to be covered. So the use is really pretty broad. Anything you can think of that might be, you know, I'm sick. You, if you I, yeah, home. if I if if I have a cold and I don't feel like going to work, I could I could use this time. Is that pretty much what you're saying? Yes, that's correct. So there, okay. there are a little bit of of limitations on that. Um, you know, the these type of laws are always a balance between employee interests versus employer interests, and so an employer can ask an employee to verify their leave, particularly if the employee has gone three or more consecutive days, or if the employee is starting to look like they're just taking leaves on Friday or on the beginning or end of a long weekend and the employer kind of suspects abuse. Those are situations where an employer can ask the employee to verify. But generally speaking, if you have a flu and you stay home, you know, you're covered and, and protected under the law. So that's the distinction is it's three days in a row where yeah, so you actually you can, you can verify days. But you, as an employer, yes. you can't verify it if it's under three days. Unless it's a situation where you're suspecting abuse of the leave. Okay. And that would probably require some documentation over a period of time if you suspected abuse. Otherwise, how do you, yeah, otherwise it's probably yeah, not so, warranted. Exactly. So in those situations where an employer suspects abuse, it's always good to have documentation. It's good to have you know, kind of a like enough information to set up like a pattern or practice of this employee using leave in such a way that you're suspicious that maybe they're not actually sick. And again, that's something if you kind of suspect that situation, it's always good to talk to either the Bureau of Labor and Industries or an HR professional or legal counsel to kind of get some guidance on that. Can you talk about how how this starts accruing for an employee? Um, maybe when the the timing starts with like when they're hired or right away or how, how does that all work with the accrual? Sure. So uh, this is a law where the employee actually starts accruing uh, their paid or unpaid leave on day one. The minute they walk through the door, they're accruing their, their leave. The employee is not entitled to take that leave until the 91st calendar day of their employment. So you get about three months where they're actually they're just accruing it. It's sitting in a bank, but they're not allowed to take it yet. Um, there's actually an alternative path that an employer can take, though, and that's just front-loading 40 hours of sick time the minute the employee starts work or at the beginning of the calendar year. And that kind of is administratively a little easier for the employer so you don't have to keep track of the accrual rates over time. What about carryover? How does that work? So again, there's kind of there's two tracks for carryover that you know an employer can kind of think about. The first is, and this is kind of the default, that an employee can carry over up to 40 hours of unused but accrued sick time from one year to the next. An employer can you know have a policy saying that the employee is not allowed to accrue more than 80 hours of sick time in any one year, and they're not allowed to use more than 40 hours of sick time in any one year. So you can kind of you know, manage those carryovers without having too much paid or unpaid sick time. 
for your employees. The other alternative is that the employer and the employee can agree that if you have paid leave, the employer pays it out at the end of the year. They're not allowed to carry it over so long as the employer front loads that sick time at the beginning of the next calendar year. Or if it's unpaid time, that you just immediately give them the 40 hours starting the next calendar year. So you kind of have the front load option or you have the, the carryover option. That's pretty interesting. Are there, well, we could probably talk about this later too, but are there uh, either a flow chart or some sort of list that just kind of describes all of this in a very simplistic format for employers somewhere? Uh, I don't believe there is yet. I know that the Bureau of Labor and Industries is going to be the agency that's passing regulations uh, regarding this rule. And usually the Bureau of Labor and Industries is very good at providing charts and like kind of uh, frequently asked questions. I don't think they're there quite yet with getting the regulation straightened out. So I would stay tuned at the Bureau of Labor and Industries to kind of get um, you know, an easy flow chart or easy frequently asked questions for employers. Talk about how employers are currently managing sick time and, and paid time off because those are very different things. I know a lot of employers are having the kind of the PTO bank. If they do already have a policy in place where everything's just kind of, you know, within the PETO, but how, when a law like this comes into play, how, how does it all work when you have an existing policy? So that's a really great question, and I think it's a question a lot of employers are wrestling with right now, because by and large, most employers have some kind of policy in place about employees taking time off. Uh, so the, the basic time policy is only really going to affect you know, a small percentage of employees who have no access to, to paid sick time. The rest of it is employers trying to figure out how to get their current policies to comply with this new rule. And so the, the way that the, the law work, works is if, there, if an employer has an existing sick leave policy, paid vacation policy, paid time off policy that is, and the language is substantially equivalent to or more generous than the paid sick time law, then it meets the minimum requirements and you kind of can just follow your own policy without having to worry about the paid sick leave law. But trying to figure out what that substantially equivalent standard means can be a little tricky. So, for example, a lot of employers will have give an employee, say, 50 hours of paid time off per year, but say it accrues at a slower rate than is required by the law. And the law requires employees to accrue one hour of sick time for every 30 hours worked. Well, we don't really know if they're providing more sick time than the law requires, but if they're occurring it at a slower rate, we're not really sure if that means it's substantially equivalent or not. And so there's a little bit of a, you know, a weighing and kind of measuring your, your level of risk and determining whether or not you think your policy is substantially equivalent to. And really the only policies that are going to fall in this kind of weighing categories if they're kind of on the, the edge of complying with the paid sick time law. Do you think employers who have just a general, like my employer, Zenium, we, we have just a general PTO bank. We don't have separate sick time. Do you think employers like us who have just a PTO bank would actually go backwards to uh, separate vacation and sick time policies? 
So I know that that is not what I would recommend to any of my clients. I think that the, the PTO policy is pretty much the best policy you can get. You don't have to worry about tracking why the employee is taking mm-hmm. time. You just give them this bank of time. They can take it for whatever purpose they want. So I always kind of recommend, and it's, it's really streamlined for the employer, and it's really streamlined for the employee too. So I always kind of recommend to move away from the separate banks of time to a combined PTO time. And so, you know, with the PTO time, even if you're only providing 40 hours total of PTO and you, the accrual rates match up with the paid sick time, that's going to be sufficient to, to kind of exempt yourself from the paid sick leave law, even though well, you're, they're only getting 40 hours total. That also includes their vacation time. Well, you don't have to worry about their vacation time separate from uh, sick time if you have a PTO policy. So it works a little bit more streamlined for employers to just have the one type of policy. And I'm sure you would agree with me that this probably deserves to be on a case-by-case basis. So, you know, this podcast, if somebody's listening, just, you know, don't take that as a blanket approach. But what what I would probably say is that what I hear you saying, at least, is that the PTO policy probably easier to track. And as long as it's um, deemed substantially equivalent, then that's probably your best route. Is that what you're kind of saying? Yeah, I think that that's correct. And like you said, it is it's a case by case approach. And it depends on kind of your, your employer needs, your, your internal needs, whether or not the PTO approach is going to work um, for you. So again, these are the types of questions if you're thinking about changing your policies, you know, of course, always talk to your HR professionals or legal counsel to kind of get the best, the best advice for your specific situation. As it relates to tracking the sick time, PTO, whatever it is that an employer wants to do, and then as far as communicating what what an employee gets, what is the employer actually responsible for as it relates to this law? So the employer is required to provide employees with written notification at least quarterly of the amount of accrued and unused sick time they have available. Usually what I've seen employers do is they just incorporate that information onto pay stubs. You know, it's easy to just kind of add a line item rather than having that separate quarterly document to send out and prepare. But the requirement, the bare minimum is at least quarterly. You have to let your employees know what they've accrued and what they haven't used. And also the employers are required to give written notice of the requirements of the law uh, in accordance to rules adopted by Bureau of Labor and Industries, those rules haven't been adopted yet, but it's probably going to be similar to the myriad of posters that you have to post in the break room. You're going to have another poster to put in the break room about the sick time law. If you're going to look into the future when this law is in effect and you're to say that employers will likely, uh, some employers would do some things either knowingly or unknowingly that would actually be unlawful as it relates to this law. What do you think some of those things, those little traps would be? I think the the biggest trap for employers is going to be, especially if an employer is not used to having to uh, handle protective leave situation, is that employers are not allowed to consider leave taken under the paid sick time law 
against the employee for things like attendance policy reasons. So say Tom has had 10, 10 sick days in the last six months. Five of those days were covered under the sick time law. The employer can only look at the other five that weren't covered to see if he's in violation of their attendance policy. And I think a lot of employers, it's hard to separate, you know, the like excluding protective leave time from the analysis of whether or not Tom is coming to work enough. But that's kind of something you have to keep in mind is that anytime you have a protective leave situation, that doesn't come into your analysis in determining whether you need to discipline your employee or they're following expectations. Other things are pretty pretty standard. You know, you, employers can't deny or interfere with the sick time. They can't refuse to pay it if they're required to have paid sick time. You know, pretty standard unlawful employment practices type um, protections there. As we wrap up, any other thoughts or advice you want to give employers as if those that are listening? I, I think my biggest advice to employers right now is that now is the time, if you have a policy, to, to kind of take a look at that and really critically analyze it to see if it's going to meet the law requirements. And if you don't have a policy, you know, Find an HR professional, talk to a lawyer to help you get the correct policy in place, and don't wait till the last minute. Don't wait until December 30th or 31st to, you know, get up to speed on this law. It can be a pretty easy you know, transition and implementation if you start working on it now. So, yeah, double-check your policies, get a policy in place sooner rather than later. Awesome advice. So Fallon, with that, what are some really good ways somebody can get in touch with you? So you can always visit our website. It's jjh-law.com. And you can always send me an email if you have any questions. It's Fallon at jjh-law.com. And we'll make sure to put some links up to it for sure. But uh, Fallon Niedrist, thank you so much for being part of the podcast. I'm sure uh, employers in, in Oregon are definitely, you know, impatient or an- anxious about this this law. And I'm, I think you definitely uh, cleared, cleared it up quite a bit. So thank you so much. My pleasure, Brandon. Thanks for listening to the Human Resources for Small Business podcast. Subscribe to this podcast and leave us a review on iTunes, Stitcher, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Also, be sure to check out our blog at www.zeniumhr.com forward slash blog and follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and LinkedIn to hear about the latest in HR and leadership. The information on today's episode is for educational purposes only and should not be taken as legal or customized advice for you or your organization. This podcast is hosted and fully produced by Brandon Laws, that's me, and created and owned by Zenium Resources, Inc. For more information or to contact us, visit www.zeniumhr.com.